If you want to read along with us, we're going to read to begin our message today from the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to begin in verse 1, and we'll read down to verse 13 of our scripture reading today. As always, I'd ask you to pray for me as I try to bring this message that it would be what the Lord wants and and what we need to hear this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 1. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us, And called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death, and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher, and an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me, in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Now to conclude our reading this morning, that's Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. I forgive any mistakes that I may have accidentally made in the reading today, but our Scripture verse focus is going to really be primarily on one verse, though there's some context around it that we'll certainly get to. But it's verse 7 of our scripture reading today, and I'm going to read that again. It says this, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The title of our message this morning drawn from this scripture text is Strangled by Fear. Strangled by fear. As those that have attended on Wednesday night can tell, I'm having a hard time getting out of Second Timothy. This is just, uh, sometimes you start reading a book and it begins to minister to your heart and it's hard to get away from it. And this last week on our Wednesday night, we looked at Second Timothy chapter 2 and 
the first seven or eight verses there. And I was preparing for that lesson. I couldn't. I kept coming back to this. And very early this week, this, this thought came to my mind, and I feel the need to bring it forth this morning. Paul here is writing from prison. This is his last known letter that he's written. And he is writing to this young man. And for those of you that heard some of this context Wednesday night, just bear with me for a moment. He's writing this young man who he has great affection for. Paul never had children. And so this is his son in the faith, as he tells us in verse 2. And we begin to read early on that as Paul was on his missionary journeys, uh, his first one, that he came across Timothy that had a good report about him. And he decided to bring him along on a second missionary journey. And there, as we go through the book of Acts, we begin to see all of Paul's experiences that he has. And based on Timothy having gone with him, we know Timothy is witnessing these things. He's having this experience with Paul, whether it's watching him be persecuted, watching him show the courage and boldness to stand in places and preach amongst Jewish people, He saw him go into the the synagogues, and as it says in the book of Acts, he opened and alleged that Christ was, or that Jesus was the Christ. So he has seen him in all these various circumstances. He has gone to Mars Hill where he argued with the Athenian philosophers. He has seen him with the Jewish leaders. He has seen him with hostile crowds that wanted to kill him. Timothy has witnessed Paul go through these things, and Paul has given Timothy assignments from time to time to go places and to do things at God's beckoning, but also at the leadership of Paul the Apostle. And I would estimate at this point that their relationship was about 20 years deep. 20 or 25 years, and that's a very rough number here. And Paul's in prison. Now, it seems to insinuate at the beginning of this chapter... Something that happens in the book of Acts, I believe it's chapter 20. Timothy had gone to Ephesus. He had begun to teach the church at Ephesus. And he, Paul was going to, he was headed to Jerusalem. But on his way to Jerusalem, he begins to stop on his way to visit all these churches that he established. And what the Holy Spirit had revealed to him on his way to Jerusalem is you're going to go there and you're going to be in prison and you're going to be persecuted. And so Paul even remarks to those at Ephesus, and you can go read in the book of Acts chapter 20, this is the last time I'm going to see you. The Holy Spirit has revealed to me that I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm not going to see you anymore. And so it actually tells us that the Ephesian elders met with him. Paul gave them some final instructions. And as he is leaving, they're weeping because they know this is the last time they're going to be able to see him. And he had done so much for them. I believe this inference here, the best that I can tell, or I guess this, uh, this statement of Paul's writing to Timothy, it implies that this is what's going on, that that's what he's referencing. The last time I saw you, you were full of tears. And now he's writing what is presumed to be the last letter of any of Paul's writings is to this man, Timothy. Now, it's a strange thing because Paul, his name has become well-known, the best that we can tell, for being a major disturbance among the Jewish people that the Romans are trying to govern. As the book of Philippians tells us, 
The gospel has been spread throughout the whole centurion, all the centurion soldiers there. Boldness have been given to these brothers. We referenced that a few weeks ago. And so Paul has has kind of become well-known, but he is despised by these Roman people. And he is writing Timothy here in prison, not well-treated, and he's saying to him in verse 7, don't be afraid. Now, I've had not this exact experience, but one that shares a similar sentiment. I'm sure you probably have as well. Have you ever been at the bedside of somebody who is deathly ill, who had, from our vantage point, every reason to be discouraged, heartbroken, complaining, and then they start speaking words of encouragement to you. And you look at them in their circumstance, and the words they're saying don't speak as loudly as the fact that they're saying it in that circumstance. I shared with you before, I went to a funeral one time, of Brother Nathan York, wife, and um, I was just, my mind was just so blown. I'd never seen this at a funeral. He got real filled up at her funeral, before her funeral, as people started pouring in. And he started walking around the congregation for over an hour, just exhorting people and encouraging people and telling them how much good for the Lord that they can do if they'll just serve him. And here this man in over 50 years of marriage and unspeakable grief is just walking around and encouraging people to keep serving the Lord despite whatever happens in life. And it just immediately brought me to tears, sustained tears, as he would go person to person and just lift them up. And in a very similar sense, this is what Paul is doing. He's preparing for his departure to heaven. According to Paul's writings, he is ready. He is not hesitant. He is not fearful. He is very ready. And Paul's mindset has always been so impressive to me. And I've prayed often, God, when I get to this point, help me to have this same spirit. One that is saying, you know what? I am going to miss you, but it's just temporary, family. If you know the Lord, and where we're going to meet again is far better than where we're at here. And so don't weep. Don't be overly sad. Just recognize this as what it truly is. If God would enlighten our spiritual understanding, it's a promotion to a better world that you'll come to join me in. And here, Paul is giving his last words, and he begins to tell us in verse 6, right before the scripture verse we're going to look at today, he tells this man, Timothy, make sure and stir up the gift of God that was given to you by the laying on of hands. I think he's referencing his ordination when God had move those people to set Timothy aside for the work of God in the ministry. And he's saying, I want you to stir it up. And the best I can tell in the Greek, what that's talking about is if you were to have a fire and there were all of these, uh, the fire began to die down, just like at our fireplace, perhaps you have one, you would go and you would begin to move it and stir it up and you would kindle that fire. And sometimes by just poking out a few things, it can regain its light and its its power and and its, its flame. And Paul is saying, I'm writing you to stir you up in remembrance. Your countenance by by the circumstance that I am in might be drawn to fear and discouragement. But I'm not writing to you to, to dwell on that and to dwell on my circumstance. I'm writing to stir up in you the gift of God that he's given you. 
He's inspiring people. One of the things that I began to notice in the scripture a number of years ago that I felt like I didn't witness a lot was God's people not rebuking one another, not just teaching one another, not just edifying one another, but there are oftentimes in the scriptures, especially in Paul's writing and some of the Old Testament prophets, that they're going and they're trying to inspire people to do what God has called them to do and live the way God has placed a spirit within them to live. And that's Paul's aim here in this book. He is trying to stir this man up and inspire him for his life That God can do in you a great work. In verse 7, I think he gets at the core of what often distracts and stops people from doing it. A spirit of fear. Everything about Paul's circumstance would have suggested to be afraid. And Paul is saying, Timothy, perhaps, Timothy, this is my speculation here. Perhaps he's saying this because Timothy had a natural tendency to be afraid. To be hesitant, to think longer than what he should. You have one of those personalities where you know what God wants you to do and you cloak it in, I just want to be sure. And so I'm just going to think about something. And then over and over, you know what you're supposed to do. Over and over, God reaffirms it multiple times in your heart. But there's still, still this fear to go out And seize that opportunity for all the things that could go wrong and could happen that could be harmful. I've noticed people who tend to live the most by fear often are people who are judgmental and insecure. And here's the reason why. If I am judgmental towards you and everything that you do. And then now I'm in a place where I have to go and and, and take an opportunity that God has given me and work out things. Perhaps I have to stand and preach or perhaps you have to testify to somebody or perhaps you have to even testify in service. And everybody that testifies and everybody that preaches, you look at with a judgmental eye. And then God has said, now it's your time. Guess what you'll be afraid of? that same judgment coming towards you. And I've known a lot of people who are strangled by the fearful, the the, the possibility that other people could just be harshly judgmental towards them. So why it's so important that we reserve our tongue and defer judgment to God. Listen, there are some things which are clearly violations of God's word. And when it is our responsibility, we ought to seek out our brothers and sisters who are practicing those things or advocating those things which are antithetical to God's word. And we ought to try to instruct them more fully, as Priscilla and Aquila did with Apollos, more fully in the ways of God and say, listen, I know this is what you said. I know this is what you think. But let's consider the scriptures in a fuller light and see if you say you come to that same conclusion. It takes a trust and a mutual love for brothers and sisters within the same church to say, you know what, I don't agree with that, but I'm going to approach this person in a spirit of love and instruction that I might correct them, not a spirit of quiet judgment. Here, a spirit of fear can cause paralysis within a Christian. I don't want to be judged harshly by people. What are all all these people going to think? 
What are they going to say? And if everyone is stunted by that fear, nobody's going to do much of anything. I have been members of churches that were that way. Is that behind closed doors, everyone was pointing and thinking. and That's not good and healthy. Talking. Not a good and healthy thing. You'll find that if you do that, your obedience to God and His work will be strangled. Maybe you're afraid of the consequences. I had a situation when I worked at the public schools, and you all know that the way that our Supreme Court has erroneously interpreted the Constitution, the First Amendment, they have interpreted it. Again, I, I'm not going to get into how, how wrong that, that interpretation is, even from a constitutional standpoint, but that there must be a separation between church and state. Thus, as a state employee, I am not allowed to say or do anything about the gospel towards students. Well, what if the Lord tells me to? Same in your workplace. I'm sure there are precedences at your work. I'm sure it would be frowned upon. And certainly I recognize that I was, sent, I was hired on to do a job. And if I'm going to obey God's word, then I'm going to do that job as well as I can. And I'm going to stay within the parameters of what those responsibilities are and what those rules are. But there are times when God's word compelled me through his spirit to break those rules. And at times... Step out in faith and say, Lord, I want to make sure this is you. But when it was, evangelize to a kid. And what oftentimes happened before that is I began to suffocate with fear. I became afraid. What is the kid going to say? What if it makes it to my boss? What if, what if, what if, what if? So it wasn't judgment that was, I was afraid of. It was consequences that I was afraid of. And it caused this fear at times, even with my coworkers. And I've told you before, I had a number of coworkers that greatly concerned me where their standing with the Lord was. And I would feel periodically when we would get into discussions about various things, this desire that in the same way that I would talk to you about the ills and the problems that beset our nation, I would feel compelled to go what I would consider to the bedrock and the foundation, and that is that we have a nation of people who are forgetting God and are turning our backs on Him, and we're reaping the consequences of that. And in a discussion with somebody about politics, I could get all caught up in the different policies that one side is advocating and the different policies that other sides are advocating. But the reality is, those things are symptoms to a greater problem And if we want to get to the root of the problem, it has to do with God and the things that his word teaches us. If I'm going to talk to them about it, guess what? That's what I really believe to diagnose the problem is the problem. But the question is, am I have the courage to say it? Or will I allow myself to be suffocated in fear? I remember to you young people here today, uh, I don't think I've shared this with the church before. Uh, I was saved in 1998 on October the 6th, and I was baptized on October 16th, 1999. That's a year and 10 days difference. So what was I doing for that year and 10 days? I was scared. I was 10 years old when I got saved. Shortly after that, I turned 11 years old. And we had a church a little bit bigger than this, full of people. And I was scared to talk in front of people. 
I just didn't like it. I actually still don't like it, <laughs> but I have to do it. I didn't like it. I felt uncomfortable. I felt, I think there's a variety of reasons for that. But So we would have people come up to me periodically at the church, and they would encourage me. Brother Brad, you know, if the Lord saved you, you need to join the church. And I would just, okay, I didn't want to talk. I didn't want to engage. It was the spirit of fear that was choking me from obedience to the Lord. Now, notice what this says in verse 7. God hath not given us a spirit of fear. So here's what we can be absolutely certain of. When we're attempting to serve God and live in obedience to His Word and what His Spirit is compelling us to do, and we began to allow fear to govern whether we'll do something or whether we won't, whether it's to make the adequate sacrifices in obedience, whether it's the judgment of other people, whether it's our own judgment of ourselves and our insecurity in things, whatever it may be that may be preventing us from stepping out and obeying God and allowing fear to suffocate our obedience, what we can know is that spirit of fear, the origin of it, is not God. God does not lead and control through demeaning fear. Now there's a fear that comes as a byproduct of God revealing reality to us. Whenever I was lost and he showed me the pains of hell, it begat fear inside of me. But when God is leading his people, he did not give us the spirit of fear. Paul is instructing Timothy, and what he says in these upcoming verses is this. I want you not to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. So here's another part that's important to understand here. He's talking about the very same thing that as a 10-year-old kid I was afraid of, and that was talking. What Paul is trying to tell Timothy is that God has given you this gift And he's given you the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to go out and share it with people. Use your voice. And yet in the context of where you're at, the natural result is that you're going to be afraid of the circumstances, of the judgment, of the rejection of people. But do not be afraid of the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he takes it a step further, nor of his prisoner himself. Don't be afraid to share the testimony regardless of what happens. And don't be afraid to be associated with people who do. Listen, people could come into this church. And if they set our church and the activities that we have and the things we do and the way that we look and the way we sing next to many of these churches in Bowling Green, there may be a natural tendency to be embarrassed because our outward efforts are dwarfed in comparison to these big establishments. We don't have security guards that are, 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 are bringing people and having to park them. We don't have dozens and dozens and dozens of activities all throughout the week. And that can cause people to say, you know, we've just got simple people who want to worship the Lord. And we don't have a Ph.D. preacher. And, and there's a shame that could come. But he says, don't be ashamed of that. Don't be afraid of that. He's telling him, have boldness to speak the truth when God calls you to. I would say this morning to people who are afraid in whatever capacity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, don't let fear control you. 
I would say in my generation, it has only been heightened. and that generation under me, it has only been heightened. One thing that I was amazed at in the 10 years that I taught in the public schools is that if I threw out a question, oftentimes in my AP smart classes of kids, I could throw out one question and for 45 minutes to an hour, we could go on discussing that question and kids could chime in and, and we could take the documents that we had read and kids could give their own opinions and we could have intellectual back and forth. And then eight or nine years later, I would do the same things and kids would stay in there frozen. They wouldn't say anything. They were afraid. What were they afraid of? Well, for hours and hours, every single day, every single month, every single year, they're watching videos of kids looking goofy and then it going viral and then making fun of those kids. And in their mind, Satan uses that to choke them from ever doing anything meaningful because you could mess up and get made fun of. I'll tell this to the kids today. Don't let the fear of what people can label you as stop you from doing right. Rise above that. Listen, people who sit and put and throw stones at people never build anything. They're too busy about tearing others down because in truth, often is the case, what they're afraid of is that they don't have the capabilities to do what they know is right to do and that is to build up something that matters. And so it's easier to just stop and throw stones. But God has not called Christians to throw stones. He's called us to Build, build other people, build them up, edify them. If somebody's better than you at something, there's no shame in in admitting that and acknowledging that. Rather, what it would be better to do is help them to cultivate that gift that you might emulate it to some degree or that they might be used of God to accomplish the task. Because later on in the scripture, he says this, we have been called by a, a holy God with a holy calling, with a holy purpose to go out and serve him. And I want you, I want my brothers and sisters in Christ to be empowered and enabled to use the gift of God that he has given you to go out and serve him. And I already know from the beginning that you're beset with sins, that you're going to be beset with failures, that you're going to make mistakes. And I can look and nitpick at every failure and mistake and thus discourage people. Or I can, as you go along the way, say, you know what? You're right, that didn't work out, but let's try it again. Let's pray again. Let's work together again to accomplish the task that God is placing before us. Easy to tear down. Doesn't take much effort at all. Paul here, he's not doing that. He's not saying, you're not going to be as good as me. Look at all the things I've done. He's saying, don't let fear control. Young person today, when God has told you to do something, do it. I'll be honest with you. I don't, sometimes these videos going online scare me. They scare me a little bit. I don't know where they're going. I don't know what people are saying. And the first six months that I was here, it was very intimidating. Because somebody would say, you know, I'd be out somewhere and I'd say, I, I, I watched that video of that sermon, I'd think, oh, oh no. Right? I could think, I'd go back and I could think of the flaws of each one. I would almost in my mind keep a mental tally, you know, or, or maybe I would interpret a scripture a certain way, then come to a different conclusion as to its meaning, and I'd think, oh no. Oh no, what are people going to think? And I had to wrestle that bear head on. I had to realize, Lord, I'm really striving to do the best I can to interpret your word, to follow your spirit, to deliver the word the best that I can. And I'm going to be wrong. And when I am, lessen that in people's minds and bring out the truth. 
Don't let me get in the way. It's a good reminder of humility. Really, you can't. And so I had to wrestle that bear head on and say, you know what? I got to forget about it. I got I to just do what God calls me to do. And regardless of the thought of others and the judgment of others, that's the way it is. Because then he tells us this. I've not given a spirit of fear. For you to be controlled by other people's opinions, please hear me today. There are people in their life that their whole life is governed by what other people think. Don't do that. You may preserve reputation, but you'll forfeit obedience to God. Don't do that. So then what has God given us a spirit of? If it's not something where we sit in fear and analysis of what other people think, what is it? I love this triumvirate of things that he says here. It, to me, is, is so full. And this is what, notice the source of it again. This is from the Lord. So when God has called you to active obedience, something as simple as joining the church, getting up and testifying in church, something like that, something simple that's momentary, And fear begins to suffocate you. No, that's not from the Lord. It might be from your sinful flesh and the weaknesses in your personality. It might be demonic forces who are trying to suppress the kingdom of God and thereby discourage and distract you from doing what God wants you to do. But we know it's not from God. So then what comes from the Lord? Well, he says first, but of power, a spirit of power. Now, this isn't talking about authority. You know, there are people today that will go and have authority to bind the devil, cast out demons. That's not what he's talking about here. I've always wondered with those people who bind the devil, why did you unbind him? (laughs) Right? No, that's not what it's talking about here. He's talking about in the midst of facing fear, in the midst of circumstances that would lean towards suppressing your testimony of the gospel, that you have one of power. I've been in numerous situations as a minister of the gospel. Just a couple weeks ago, went to a church, didn't know a single soul there. All the way there, my heart's just kind of fluttering and pounding. You know what? What's this going to be like? What's going to happen? What's the worst case scenario? All these different things, and you can dwell on those things. But I would keep going back to you, Lord, you know I can't do this of myself. I need your help. And I'm depending on you in these moments. Help me. And I stood up there with probably 100, 125 people there. Focus, Lord. This has got to be of you. When we are doing things for the Lord, whether it be testifying in church, preaching to thousands, sharing somebody that's intimidating, that you've always kind of been a little afraid of how they would respond, God is not going to choke us with fear, but he'll give us a power to conquer that. You know, there's something about the words of Jesus, as we've noted many times, that Jesus said in the Gospels, People would remark and they would say, he's like one speaking with authority, with power. God, through his Holy Spirit, has this ability to infuse our words with something beyond rhetoric rhetoric and persuasion. It's a spiritual force that they can be leavened with. And listen to me today, for those of you who are afraid... And what Paul is telling to Timothy, not be afraid to talk, not be afraid to share the testimony of our Lord with whomever. 
Recognize this. Yes, if you're depending upon self and you have never had the experience where God through his spirit has infused you with a power beyond yourself. I can understand your hesitance to share the gospel, to testify about the gospel. But when there have been times in your life where God has infused you with his spirit of power and you begin to say things that are beyond you and things come to your mind that are beyond your natural thought process and you begin to express yourself so concisely, so pointedly, right to the person's heart and you know God has given you this assurance in that moment that yes, you are speaking, but it is not you speaking. It is God speaking in you. It is that that is the spirit of power that transcends the human's ability. That spirit comes from God, and that spirit is what people need today. I have a hard time listening to preaching on, on the, the radio or on the, on the TV because so many things in our age have become about the mind and learning and intellectual expression. And everyone becomes so obsessed with making sure that every utterance they speak is precisely accurate and yes that is of the utmost importance to me when I'm preaching the gospel is that I would do it accurately and yet what I recognize is that if I am depending upon my own mind and I am obsessing on its its accuracy and I am not mindful of the fact that along with accuracy it requires God's power to make that truth effective in the heart of people all the accuracy in the world will fall Limp at that person's heart without God's power in it. I can listen to a guy. I can listen to a lady teach. And they're trying so hard for that. And yet they miss the most important ingredients. And that is God's Holy Spirit speaking. Paul, that's what he boasted of in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I came and I spake not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and the power of God. Do you recognize that I, as your pastor, I, as a preacher, am not the only one that has that? It's not like this little magic box that God has reserved just for preachers that we can speak with power. No. What do you think about John chapter 4 when Jesus, after he got done witnessing to that Samaritan woman? What did the Bible say? She went back into the Samaritan village and what did she do? She began to share with them all things. Or he, she began to share with them the truth. And she told them, come see a man. He's told me all things that I ever I did. And the Bible says this. The effect of that was that many believed on him for the saying of the woman. She went in there. Inspired by what had just taken place inside of her. Desirous to share it. And God equipped it with himself. I'm not going to go through many other examples today, but know this. When you want to talk to your child who's out of church, don't nag. Wait for the power of God to enable you. Ask for it. And when he tells you, do it. Speak with clarity and boldness. It's not only that the power of love. Excuse me, not only, only a power, but we have a, one of love. Now, in my mind, those two things are inextricably linked. Because love has power. I mean, genuine godly love. It is a powerful thing. When it's not put on, I'm not talking about good deeds, righteous things that can be done out of obligation, 
that can be done out of necessity. Not that. I'm talking about when God has placed a love inside of you for someone's welfare and it, it controls you. That's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, that the love of Christ constrained him. That if one died for all, then all were dead. And he looked at the masses of people compelled with love. He was, he was constrained to do what he wanted because he said, I love people so much, I cannot give in to my own personal affections. And he was compelled to live different. You look at people and you don't think, you know, I wonder, I had some coworkers and actually it was funny, we were, we were doing something in my office this week and I appreciate everyone who helped to, to get all that ready and done. And uh, I have this little, this, um, little figure of a, a little statue of a politician and it's not somebody that I support, uh, but me and a coworker for about six or seven years, we would, we would talk about politics a little bit and we would kind of argue and he was a big supporter of this person and I was not a supporter of that person. And so my going away present was a little bobbleheadish of that guy, right? And uh, it was a, a humorous gesture that I actually kind of appreciated a little bit uh, because we could talk and not fight, not hate one another. We could be really good friends and but man, we really differed in our opinions about things. And what I always wanted him to know in our conversation was that the substance was less important than him. I'm not, if I lose an argument, but hold my tongue from putting a stumbling block in front of him, I'll hold my tongue. I don't need to win an argument. I need to win him. I especially don't want to want to win a political argument and lose a soul over it. And so I can think of at least two occurrences in this very moment where I could have said something and every fiber of my argumentative being wanted to say something. I better just, just better not. Now I went home and I told Kathleen all about it. (laughs) I had to get it out. (laughs) But we have a spirit of love about us. I hope with people that you differ from greatly that that's what you recognize. God has given us a spirit of power and of love. And finally, he says this, of a sound mind. I went back and I, I still don't feel certain as to what, you know, that could mean a lot of things. And so I went back and I started reading about what that could mean. And, and I don't know that I firmly settled, but I think given the context and given the Greek meaning of it, here's what I, I suppose it means, and, and you can look for yourself to be more precise about it. But when you're afraid, you don't think clearly. Paul's in prison writing this letter to this young man, passing on the baton of God's work and ministry to him, saying, now you're that generation. You know, when my father passed away, there was this sense that, man, I'm the oldest generation, male generation of my family now. And, you know, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but it just, I don't know, it just kind of made me humbled a little bit. Some of you may have experienced that when your parents die, and then you're the oldest one. And it's, there's nothing formal that happens, but it's the loss of dependence, the loss of comfort that comes from the maternal or paternal influence. Now, Timothy's about to experience this. And Paul is saying, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't be afraid because God has equipped you with the spirit of power and of love and he gets the last one and of a sound mind. 
Don't allow the fear and panic of circumstance to stop you from realizing that the will of God and the works of God are not, do not originate in hysteria or fear, but they have established purpose and reason. God can give us. Have you ever been in a situation before where you had unusual calm that came from God? I remember one time I was preaching this church that did not believe what we do and that were frankly deceiving people. And um, some bad stuff started happening, spiritually speaking. And I thought, Lord, I can't let this go on. I'm preaching today. And for a moment, I just kind of froze out of nowhere. Not my normal line of thinking. The Lord just said, do this. And after I was driving home, just laughing. Because I knew it wasn't of me. Give such precision and clarity of, this is what I want you to do. And then it worked. And I laughed because I thought, I am so assured that this was not of me. It would be insane to think that could be of a a person. Did you know God has equipped you with the same spirit? I think one of the, you know, I, I thought about titling this message, Learn How to Talk. Learn How to Talk. Because Paul's instruction here is, Timothy, don't allow your fear to stop you from talking in these circumstances. I've not equipped you with that. I've given you, excuse me, God has given you a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. This morning, I'm going to close with that. I hope today, if you allow fear, even of a religious nature, to control your obedience. Don't do that. If you allow your own judgment of others and your speculative judgment of how they're going to judge you control whether you testify in church, whether you say something, whether you take a leadership position that God's calling you to do, whether you step out on faith, recognize that it would be wise to repent of that sin and then stand up and do it. You know In our age, especially young boys, are told to cower and back away from whatever they're afraid of, given the excuse. That's not the message of Scripture. We don't cower and back away. We face those things head on with the grace of God. In our day, one of the greatest challenges, I think, for this church and many churches is just using that thing God has given you, your mouth, to share the gospel with people and not letting fear control it. God has not given us that. He's giving us things to overcome that. And I pray, I really pray, that you would use it for His glory and for His good and for those that we love for their good. That's our message this morning. I hope that it was a help to someone here today.